I believe everyone has a story to share. I'm on a journey to discover the magic inside each person's story. Each week, I will introduce you to guests where I will dig deep and uncover the beautiful miracles from life and experiences to inspire and encourage you to live life to the fullest. My goal is to give each guest a platform to share their lives with the world in hopes that someone will be inspired to take action and live life with passion and purpose. Welcome to the Uncover Your Magic podcast with me, Ashley Goner. Are you ready? Here we go. Hello and welcome back to Uncover Your Magic. Today you have the pleasure to meet another shaman. In fact, she is called the Royal Shaman. And another name she goes by is Makosi. That name Makosi might sound familiar to you from episode number 98 when I interviewed another shaman named Makosi. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen and compare the two perspectives about shamanism. It will fascinate you. I have been following this Makosi since I heard her on Raj Jana's podcast, Stay Grounded. Her wisdom and background on how she became a shaman will amaze you. I never knew what it took to be a shaman, what a journey it is, and what dedication. Oh my gosh. Anyone who is that committed to their spiritual growth and becoming a shaman is beyond impressive to me. You will love Makosi's wisdom and insight and will learn so much in this episode. I can't wait for you to meet her. But before I bring her on, let me remind you, I am hosting a five-day Kiss Your Limiting Beliefs Goodbye Challenge in April, and I'm hosting a four-week class with Dominic Zenden, where he will be teaching an introduction to your aura class beginning in mid-May as well. He is going to teach the meaning behind the auras, how to use and see other people's auras, and how to improve your aura, and so much more. At the end of the four classes, you'll be given a very big discount to have your own aura profile read by him. You do not want to miss this. You can sign up in the link in the show notes or just email me direct at ashleygonner at gmail.com and I'll send you all the information. Or you can always go to my website and get the links to sign up there. I also wanted to say thank you to those who have given the show a review. Reading them means so much to me. I appreciate all of your messages on Instagram and Facebook after you listen to the show. I just never know who is listening. And when you send me these messages, it brings me so much joy. So thank you. Let me tell you a little bit about Makosi, the royal shaman, before I bring her on. Makosi is a spiritual guide and authentic shaman that helps soul-seeking high achievers create an extraordinary business and life using mindset, mindfulness, and metaphysics mastery. Through shamanic DNA activation and energetic alignment, she assists high achievers to discover their purpose, decode their essence, and break through the blocks keeping them from creating limitless abundance, unparalleled freedom, and exceptional 
impact. She bridges ancient spiritual wisdom in a modern, practical way to resonate with people from all walks of life by applying fundamental spiritual truths to help high achievers consciously create satisfying success in the real world. The wisdom she shares is all-inclusive, non-religious, and practical. Her clients walk away with a completely different perspective on their life and the world and obtain the tools they need to be happy, successful, and fulfilled spiritual beings having a human experience. Are you ready to change your life? Let's get this show started. So let's bring this beautiful soul that I am so excited for you all to meet. Makosi, the Royal Shaman. Welcome, Makosi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm absolutely thrilled and excited. And anytime that we have a mutual connection and that mutual connection is like one of my favorite people, then Mm -hmm. I know that we're going to get along. We're going to have an amazing conversation. Oh, I love it. And uh, like we were talking before I hit record, when I've heard you, I've listened to you on podcasts and your story and, you know, we all have a story and some people, you know, I've learned as a 53 year old woman, I always talk about their yellow brick road. And like, you have these little breadcrumbs along the way or red or yellow bricks and you realize they're there and you go to the next one and you keep going and you don't ignore it. And then you keep picking and going and then you might take the why and then it, but the why brings you back to the to the road, right? When I look at your life and from the, from where it is now, like as the, like a higher view, and I see all these breadcrumbs and the yellow bricks and how you listened, you might not have known why, but you did it anyway. And it's always pushing past the fears when I, you know, we all know is when that's when the magic happens. And when you listen to your intuition and take that step or grab the yellow brick or the breadcrumb, but your story is so profound to me and one I could listen to over and over, which I have done the last few days. Will you just go, you know, take us to that? I know you've tell that story on these shows, but it is such a story where people, when they listen to you explain that we all have whatever we want and we all have everything inside of us. It's whether we choose to use it, choose to see it and choose to take the action. And you did that. And I love everything about your story. So take me to where you want to go. Yeah. Um, You know, what's really interesting about my story or rather what people find fascinating about my story is that if you look at it from a linear perspective, like this happened, then this happened, then this happened, it can be really difficult to understand me or understand how I got to this place. It is only really when you look at my life or my story from that higher level view and see all of those little puzzle pieces that come together to fit that now this moment or this iteration of me makes perfect sense. And it's that case for everyone. It's just that most of us are hesitant to take that bird's eye view. So for me, I really had the experience of basically living three different realities up until they converged in my, in my early twenties. So as a young child, I came into this life, remembering who I was in my last life, in my last incarnation, um, as an Oracle of the goddess Isis in Egypt, approximately 2000 years ago. Um, I actually have specific dates 
now of when that happened. It's been incredible. But I came here really remembering that and sharing those things with my family, having spiritual gifting, just knowing things about people, knowing things that were coming into fruition. But I really suppressed that a lot. I grew up one of two children. My mom was a a single teen mom, and I grew up mixed race in Southern West Virginia, which, although it's better... (laughs) It was a pretty racist childhood. I experienced lots of racism almost on a daily basis. So for me, the message that I received based on, you know, things that my family would tell me, things that society would say, I just knew that the statistics were against me. And I'm a little rebellious at heart. (laughs) And from probably eight or nine, I said in my mind, I am not going to be a statistic. And I put my focus on becoming a high achiever. It was always for me, how can I be like the best version of myself? How can I get to the next level? How can I compete? So on and so forth. And I carried that all the way. That's a theme that I I still embody. But it was around age 12, 13, some interesting events started happening. Like I had an experience of um, someone gifting me tarot. I started reading tarot cards for the kids at school and making money. Um, (laughs) I also um, started just knowing things about people. And then around 15, my best friend was murdered. And I actually knew she was going to die before she did, about a week before. We had just got back from a trip and and I told her, I said, you know, something really bad is about to happen and you need to tell your mother that you're pregnant. She was five months pregnant at the time. And also you need to leave your boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And she was like, I know, I know, but she didn't follow through on that. And the following Friday, I got the call that she had, that she had been shot. So she had been shot on that Friday but she was still physically alive, although yeah, she was essentially a vegetable. And so they pulled the plug the next day and I returned home. I had spent the night with a friend so I could be close to the hospital. And, and I went back home. I'd gotten ready for bed. I'm getting in bed. It's like eight o'clock, nine o'clock in the evening on a Saturday. And it's a summertime. I'm a teenager. And all of a sudden she appeared at the end of my bed, just mm-hmm. as real to me as anyone could be. And she started communicating with me, but no words. And after having that experience with her, I knew that all of the years before of my spiritual gifting that I had kind of just brushed aside, that there was actually something to that. It wasn't Mm -hmm. just, you know, a coincidence. It wasn't just, you know, fun party tricks. Right. And that's really when my life started, I would almost say gaining momentum. Mm -hmm. I started experiencing what I now know was the calling sickness. So this is where my third life starts. I'm having this experience of being incredibly ill. There were periods of time my, my bones would ache. I would be screaming and crying in pain at night. I would lose weight, massive amounts of weight for no reason. In a month, I could lose 15, 20 pounds. Oh, wow. I would throw up everything that I ate 
And I was in and out of doctors constantly trying to figure out what was going on. And I wasn't telling people about it because there wasn't, there wasn't a diagnosis. And so it felt kind of weird. I would tell people like I'm sick, but they're looking at me like, "Mm, but you don't look sick. Mm -hmm. Right. And you, you're still energetic and yourself. But I also started seeing spirits in a more consistent way at that point, started having really insane dreams. But the whole time that high achiever version of myself is still striving to like get top grades, because for me, I was like the only way I'm going to get out of this situation. And I've really had dreams of like being able to take care of my mom and take care of my family I was like, I've got to do well in school because I don't have athletic ability. Nobody's paying me to play any sport. (laughs) I'm a little musically gifted, but I'm not like the next Celine Dion. That was not going to happen for me. So I go end up going to college, changed my majors a few times and eventually landed on, oh, I'm going to I'm going to go to med school because I'm really great in science and I'm smart. And what's more prestigious than that? I was like, you know, the typical doctor, lawyer, maybe an engineer. Those two didn't really fit. So I'm like, let's go to med school. So I start going down that trajectory. Also kind of thinking maybe I could figure out what's going on with my own health. Mm -hmm. Right. There was also a little bit of, of that involved, but my, um, my reproductive system really started to get, um, magnified in my life. I was experiencing frequent cysts on my ovaries that were like putting me in the hospital. Mm-hmm. I was um, in constant pain, ended up diagnosed with um, PCOS and stage four endometriosis. And my doctor was like, at the time I had been seeing my now husband, we had been together for a few years. And he said, look, I've had your mom as a patient and she was the worst mm-hmm. that I've seen. And you started your cycle five years before her. Oh, wow. So I'm estimating that you maybe have four or five years to get pregnant if you want to get pregnant. I'm in college, right? This is like, (laughs) (laughs) I'm 22-ish at this time. So my then fiance and I decide, all right, we're going to get pregnant. Took a year of struggling, lots of treatments. I have this incredible, almost miraculous pregnancy found out I was pregnant right before they wheel me back to surgery to help me get pregnant. <laughs> I have a very challenging pregnancy. I was on bed rest for six out of the nine months that I was pregnant. Jeez. And then when I had him, I ended up with postpartum preeclampsia and ended up in the hospital for five days mm. because my blood pressure shot through the roof. So when this little guy came and I only had one semester of college left at this point, I really start looking at is medical school what I really want? Because I had, in my perspective, I had confronted death. I had faced death. Mm -hmm. And I also had gone through this incredible struggle for my son. And all I really wanted, like truth be told, all I wanted was to spend every second with him. I wouldn't say I had postpartum depression, but I definitely was crying every single day, because I knew that that was one day closer to him being grown and gone. Yes. And I knew like, this was probably going to be my only child. And by the way, here we are, it's nine years later, he is still my only child. So I decided, even though I had, I graduated magna cum laude, 
I had all the prerequisites. I made the crazy, seemingly crazy decision that I'm not going to go to med school and I'm going to spend as much time with my, with my son. So that led into me eventually going into direct sales. I, I worked at Target for a brief stint, but I wasn't happy dropping him off at daycare every day. Mm-hmm. So I ended up going into direct sales and that was where I really, for the first time, um, experienced what it was like to be what I, what I perceived as successful. So within nine months in that company, I ended up in what they called their president's club. I was in the top 2% of that company. And if you're familiar with direct sales, um, when you're in the top of a company, they spoil you. You're getting all the free trips. You're getting, you know, designer handbags, mansion parties, you know, cash bonuses. You're getting to walk on stage. It's seemingly everything that people strive Mm -hmm. for. And here I am like 24 years old having that experience. And on top of it, I've got the hot husband, tall, dark, and handsome. (laughs) We have, we have our own house. We have a couple of vehicles, you know, uh, the picture perfect son. And although I loved what I was doing and I loved working with women, I'm really great in the areas of uh, sexuality. That was the field that I was in, there was still something missing. I wasn't completely fulfilled. There were aspects of me that weren't being utilized. And so I started asking different questions like, so I made it, now what? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, so I achieved success at 24, what's next? (laughs) Right? (laughs) And when I started asking those kinds of questions, like, who am I? What is, what is the highest use of my gift? What is my calling? Like, what am I really here for? The universe started responding with what you called breadcrumbs or those yellow bricks, mm-hmm. right? And literally all I did was follow each of those yellow bricks. Some incredible synchronicities happened. And I always pay attention to synchronicity. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this person and this person knew each other from hundreds of miles away. and somehow they're in my life right now. There's something here. Let me look at that. And that led me into my first initiation. So I went into my first spiritual initiation through the Dogon tribe of West Africa. A lot of people don't realize that they are connected with ancient Egypt. So essentially I was in an initiation of ancient Egyptian spirituality Mm -hmm. and culture. And it was basically an, an initiation back into myself, back into who I really am, giving me an opportunity to really question our society and why things are the way that they are. And during that process, we do what's called divination. And divination is a type of reading that is uh, almost like a diagnostic tool that's identifying root causes of the things that you're experiencing in your everyday life, the, the manifestations. And it kept coming out that I was here to be a priestess, that I'm here to be a spiritual teacher, that I'm here to have a very public role Mm -hmm. and start a movement of some sort, but that I needed to be um, initiated in order to do that. So after I left that initiation, I ended up having a dream of my spiritual mother Mm -hmm. about a year before I met her. And then when she came into my life and I saw her, I was like, so that's what that was. Wow. Um, at this point now, I usually see things about two years, three years ahead. Back then it was only about a year ahead. 
In your dreams? In, in my dreams, yes. Okay. But before you continue, when I had interviewed the other Makosi, mm-hmm. the other shaman that has, I know that people are wondering how do pe- two people have the same name, but when I, she was talking about dreams, how shamans really learn how to, what, go th- to their dreams and really dissect them and in certain different ways. And, you know, I can look at a dream in a way and then she, you shamans look at it in like, if it's a, if it's a mountain and a female, like they're putting it together, like your ancestors are coming through your dreams. Is that your dreams in your way? Yeah. So there's different perspective and also there's different gifting among shamans. So one of the things that's not totally understood is that um, there are different roles and different types. So there are some of us who have callings, like the majority have a calling to work with people um, more in a one-to-one relationship in healing. Usually it's ancestrally based. Mm-hmm. Um, and also dreams can play a component in that. Sometimes um, the use of certain plant medicines, not just hallucinogenic plant medicines, but barks, leaves, so on and so forth that have medicinal properties. And do you do all that when you're um, in your divination? So for me, although I have the access to be able to utilize those tools, that's not my calling. So my calling in particular has to do with a societal level. So really for me, I'm bringing forth the same work that I was doing as as an oracle in the temple of Isis to now. So in that ancient practice, every king, queen, et cetera, is typically one of the most spiritual people, mm-hmm. meaning they're one of the most divinely connected and embodied people in that community. And they always have on hand a, an, an advisor, right? And so that advisor is also considered a nobility or royalty on the same plane. And that person also is responsible for the collective or the societal direction. So they will also play the role of like a teacher or, you know, in the Hindu system, what they would call a guru Mm -hmm. is a very similar thing. So one of the best current analogies that I can give is the Dalai Lama, right? My role would not be the Dalai Lama. Most people don't know the Dalai Lama actually has an oracle. Hmm. He has an advisor. She's absolutely stunning. I don't know, maybe 35 years old, beautiful young woman. Wow. Really? Is his oracle. Yes. She's a Tibetan oracle. And so it's literally that same practice or not that I'm Buddhist, but it is a mimic of that same ancient way of going about doing things that ensures that our leaders have a conscious advisor that's on their shoulder, Hmm. questioning them, you know, asking certain things and that that person is not subject to them so that they can't, for example, our president, if they have an advisor, that advisor, there's some pressure for them to answer in certain ways. Right. right? There's a pressure for them to be yes men. Right. Where typically an oracle lives outside of that. The Dalai Lama doesn't have any say over how this oracle 
functions so they can give unbiased and sometimes difficult or challenging mentorship or advisement that's really needed to create balance. Okay. So she's 35 years old. Don't quote me on that. I know, but I'm just saying, so that's the part I don't get. Why is she 35 (laughs) years old? She, she was, did what you did and had a calling to be the Dalai Lama's Oracle. So she's actually not just the Dalai Lama's Oracle. So an Oracle just serves as her role. Many leaders will come to her for support and advisement. So she's a, she is a Tibetan Oracle that's recognized. I'm not sure if she's uh, recognized by the state, if she's their state Oracle, but so she was recognized at a very young age. What we're talking about is the age is irrelevant because what we're talking about is the spirit of the person Okay. Can be very ancient and can have evolved in a certain way. So like even in West Africa, I will never forget going to a, a certain temple and there was a priestess there who was three years old. Oh, She's wow. Three. Okay. And people are honoring and bowing her bowing to her because the wisdom and the energy that she carries is still there, even if she's in a young Hmm. a young form. So what we're talking about is these, these things transcend our age. I only bring up her age to just illustrate. We know the Dalai Lama. We like think amazing things about him. He's an incredible spiritual elder. Right. right? And even he has an Oracle. Got it. A feminine Oracle It's powerful stuff. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So you go through this process. It's what, five years? you have to, mm-hmm. you're going yes. back and forth living in tents on the ground yeah so i spent 5 years in initiation i wasn't always in africa i would spend a month two months three months at a time in africa living there going through certain ceremonial processes learning just being in the nature mm-hmm. but also there was a component that i was keeping up with here so when you're in initiation we have certain ways of doing things that allow us to be closer to and, and connect with the divine. So there are certain colors we don't wear. There's certain things we don't eat. There's certain practices. Like I would get up at three o'clock every morning to take a shower and it had to be in cold water. I had to sleep on the ground during that period of time. I couldn't sleep on a bed and also being in meditation and prayer and cleansing multiple times a day that made up a huge chunk of my day. Um, But loving it the whole time, like you knew this is where you're supposed to be. You had that knowing. I absolutely knew. So for me, I never had a vision or a plan of like, oh, I'm going to enter into this so I can become a shaman. Like that, that was, that never even crossed my mind. For me, like I told my husband, I was like, there's something about this. I just know, I have this knowing that this is going to make me a better mom and a better wife and a better person, like the best version of myself that Mm -hmm. I can be. And so for me, it's valuable in that way. I didn't go in it. Like how most of us go into spirituality is like, we want to get something out of it. How can I get my dream house? How can I manifest my dream husband? So on and so forth, which there's nothing wrong with that. But what it does is we end up limiting our experience Mm -hmm. because we have in our minds how we think things should go, who we think we should be, what we think success looks like. And your soul can have a completely different plan 
or mission for you. Even now, like I'm sitting here blinged out wearing my like hot pink top. (laughs) I, when I imagined and was told, oh, you need to be a priestess. Oh, you need to be a shaman. My vision of what that looked like was very different. Right. I was terrified because in my mind, I thought that means like, I have to go and live in the bush (laughs) of Africa and I need to give up all of my earthly possessions. And, and maybe I need to even give up my marriage in order to do that. Hmm. But when I became willing to let go of it all, I completely surrendered to whatever my calling was. None of that was the case. In fact, my life is just beyond, I call it beyond achievement, but it's beyond what I could even have imagined possible. Mm -hmm. But you know, when I think of your the recent, like it's not, it's new, you know, it's not a, oh, this happened 20 years ago and, you know, look what she's done, you know, over the years. It's not like that. And that's the part why I wanted you to share is to people that when you find your calling and when you take those steps and you act on that inspiration, it doesn't have to be, it can be an overnight thing. Like, I mean, I just feel like for you, So I want to get to what you do today, because that is so perfect for when I look at where and who you are deep down as a soul, like the, the high achiever, the best grades, the, you know, the top salesperson and how you want to teach people, you know, that this abundance and is all here for you. You just need to embody that. And I love where you go with your clients and what you do now with your, with your shamanism, with your Royal shaman, little big empire, right? But will you go to the story? So now you've you've embodied this new identity or this, what do you call it? Just identity? Yeah, identity. Okay. So now you have embodied this new identity. You have a little boy, you're married, you come back to create a new life with this new identity. So now what? 2019, are we? Yeah. So now we're at the end of 2018. So I I returned back home in September, 2018. I immediately just opened up the doors because that's what we do after we graduate. We open up the doors and we start working with clients and I surrendered to allowing my identity to unfold because who you think that you have to be may not be what's in alignment for you. So from that period of time, (laughs) I call it cutting to the front of the line. Because when you answer the calling and you really surrender to it, you get put in literally the perfect positions and the perfect places that only you can fulfill that are literally, it's almost like it was just like cut out for you. Right. So I didn't come out of the gate like, oh, I'm going to serve high achievers and I'm going to support them in creating their, their empires and da, 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 da. I just started out with simple divination sessions and supporting people in their spiritual evolution. It was much more spiritual, seemingly spiritual Mm -hmm. at first. And what happened was over time, especially once the pandemic hit, that's when everything really took off. I kept attracting certain people. They were all like high achievers, incredible entrepreneurs and visionaries, Now at this point, we're talking about there's some celebrities and entertainers that I have like 13,000 followers on Instagram. 
where are you all even coming from? I don't have huh. any ads out there right now. Amazing. Where are you coming from? Right. <laughs> but I love it. it's just been an, an unfolding of paying attention to what is in alignment for me. So it started off with podcasts, mm-hmm. you know, people asking me to be on certain podcasts, other people would hear those podcasts and be like, oh my gosh, um, I'd <laughs> love to have you on that. Some of those podcast hosts ended up hiring me and, you know, we work together and they get very excited and share with their audience. And it's been this natural just unfolding. So now 2022, my specialty is that I work with high achievers, executives, entertainers, you know, really high level people, because there's not as, it seems like it's counterintuitive, but once you make it to a certain level, there's not as many people there mm-hmm. that can hold that, that capacity of a person. And most of it is mental right. because we tend to put high achievers on a pedestal and they're like, you know, we're like, oh, they made so much money or, you know, they seem to have this amazing life. But I know that I'm one of the few people that offers expansion beyond success. Right. When you're a high achiever, you can hit the goals. You can make the money. Mm-hmm. You you already know that you have that in you. So then it's about, okay, but what what else? But when you look at yourself back when you were doing your um, multi-level marketing, what do you call mm-hmm. it, right? Um, do you see in your, if you go back to that person, do you see what you do now as why it worked for you? Because it was inside of you. It was always inside of me. And the reason why I'm able to support people is because I went, I went through the experience of what I call the void. Um, and the void happens when you've, you've reached a certain level and now things just become very confusing. It's like up begins to become down in is out. You don't know what, what next it's almost like you're just kind of floating or just Mm -hmm. kind of existing. And it's not that life is bad. Your life can be great. That's the thing that makes the void really hard. Right. Because life can actually be good in certain areas. And so there can be like a guilt that pops up (laughs) about like, well, who am I to dare want more when I have what so many other people would want? But that sense of knowing that you're here for more, knowing that you're called to create a disruptive legacy, that's what I'm playing with calling it, you're really called to to become that higher, highest version of yourself, not just goal set and goal chase for the rest of your life. When you get to that place, it requires a very different approach to life, a very different approach. It's where you have to now step away from things being very linear and embrace the nonlinear. You have to be able to embrace yourself holistically and begin focusing on your identity and are you actually expressing your authentic essence who you are actually here to be or are you or have you just created success to try and you know people please it's a very common one <laughs> yes so you're working with these people to really pull that out and you're pulling it out with the tools that you have learned through the shamanism all the things you've used. 
Yeah. So at this point, out. the, my highest calling is for people to understand that they are the tool. They are the tool, you know, in my initiation process, I learned to work with many tools and every time I would get attached to a tool, my ancestors, my spirits would knock it like, no, you're the tool. Use yourself. Got you it. are like the only thing that you really need for alignment is yourself and examining your relationship with reality. So in my perspective, and not every, not every shaman is going to agree with me and that's okay. Shamanism is not just about, you know, utilizing certain tools like fire divination or ceremonial drums, so on and so forth. Those are really great support to access, but shamanism at its core is really about your relationship with reality. And so if we focus on who you're being in your reality, it begins to shift and shape your reality. The reason that I've been gifted this view or given this vision is because even in the shamanic practices that I've seen, people get really hung up on like, oh, I did a cord cutting ceremony and, and like, and now I'm done. They treat it as like a quick fix band right. thing mm-hmm. versus understanding like, okay, you cut the cord. And now, <laughs> yes, and now. now, and now there's an integration. Now there's like, there needs to be a shift in the way that you're operating in the world. Not just like I did something, I got a divination or, oh, I did a plant medicine ceremony or I did X, Y, Z. That integration piece, the part where you integrate that new way of being into who you are, into your everyday life. That's where change actually happens. And tell me that because I've been listening at, you know, even uh, the manifestation babe, Catherine, what Catherine. is her name? Kath- yeah, Catherine. Catherine. And how she worked with you and, you know, always was stuck, you know, and I look, you look at her and she's, you know, flourishing and she's a manifestation babe and she's, you know, six figures constantly. And then she meets with you and she goes to way above seven figures. Yeah. So I mean, you see someone, I know you're saying like celebrities and all these high, high performance, that's what you attract to work with. But I see her as already embodying that, you know, so you take it to that next level. That's the part that I like, it's like for me, I always, you know, say to the girls, like we're talking because you're in pageants and my girls, right? I say, okay, before we go there, we're going to embody what it feels like to be crowned. We're going to embody that feeling of what it looks like to be standing there and they put the crown on your head. What does it feel like? Mm-hmm. What does it feel like to put that sash over you? And you're walking and you have this, I mean, what does that feel? Embody that before we go. So, yes. I, you know, it's like, that's what I, Right. Yes. So here's the interesting thing. And I love that you bring up pageants because we can go, we can do a lot with that analogy. I want to be also really clear is while Catherine's amazing, while I also think I'm amazing, we are not special. We're not like, we are as special as everyone else is special. Yeah. We all have that in us and any of us can access this and utilize it. It's only that I attract a certain type of clientele because they already have gotten to a certain level. And so they actually understand the value of this, right? Not everyone gets that until they've achieved a certain level of success. Not that you couldn't, but it's just kind of the pattern that happens. But if we're talking about the example of pageants, because I think that's so good. 
the mistake that most people make is they wait until, right? Like maybe you're traveling for the pageant. It's the night before the pageant and you do like a visualization exercise or you, you know, tap into and embody that feeling of what it's going to be like to put that crown on your head, so on and so forth. And I hope that your daughter listens to this, that both of them listen to this and take what I'm saying here. Okay, good. Thank you. The key to embodiment is 1% alignment, aligned action every single day. So it's not that you wait until the night before. Mm -hmm. It's that you begin, like if your daughter is preparing for a pageant today and the pageant's in six months, she taps into, okay, if I am that version of myself amplified, what are the, the things I'm doing, the things I'm thinking, how I'm feeling, how can I tap into that every single day now Mm -hmm. and begin to amplify and express that now? And it's those incremental changes into more of your essence, into more of your authenticity. See, the thing about pageants that is like a love and a hate, most of the time I see that just like the rest of us, we try and copy or mimic everything another person does, mm-hmm. thinking that that's what right. got that person to that place. Yeah. But you can work really, really hard. This is what I, I've learned is you can work really, really hard to be the best and you probably still won't be the best. There's probably always going to be somebody that's better than you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But nobody can be better than you at being you, mm-hmm. at being the uniqueness. So when I did pageants, one of the things that worked really well on my behalf, especially when I was a teenager, was that I was a skateboarder and I snowboarded. And so I would bring that out and amplify that mm-hmm. in my interviews, right? Putting a little bit more focus on what made me unique, what made me different versus oh, I'm just like the best at blank. I'm the best talent or I'm the best so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. We automatically have a lens that leans us toward cherishing that which is rare, that which is unique. And the more that you embrace those aspects of you that you think are not good enough, or maybe they're too much, or maybe you know they don't fit in to the rules. The more you embrace that and allow it to be expressed, that's when the magic happens. Yes, I love that. And when, with you, you know, I'm thinking of you and how you live your life, and you're a mom and a wife. Do you see yourself? Are you the kind of person that just it doesn't matter? I love every single part of me, and it just comes out and exudes into the way you live your life? I love the parts of myself that I also don't like. That's what I mean. Yes. Yes. So by the way, my level of self-love is very triggering for a lot of people. It's not always the easiest thing to carry Mm -hmm. because people love to love people that hate themselves. Right. But like, even with the parts of me that I don't like, like, the loose skin on my stomach from gaining 80 pounds when I was pregnant, right? I don't like that part, but I still love it and honor it and cherish it because it's me. And it's that acceptance 
that level of acceptance that magnetizes what is actually here for you. And it will repel everything that's not. So Mm -hmm. when I started tapping into that, that's actually why I got out of pageants and knew that pageants weren't for me anymore. Because I had an experience where I used to wear weave for my pageants Mm -hmm. and uh, I had my headshots done and I went to go pick up my headshots and didn't have the weave in. And my pageant director freaked out and she was like, oh my gosh, you're a queen now. You need to, you need to look like a queen. Oh, wow. All the time. Mind you, I had my natural hair. Right. My hair's like curly. It's not locks. It wasn't locks back then, but it was naturally curly and, and short. And I started questioning myself. I'm like, wait, if I can't be myself in this, if I can't be myself fully expressed, is this for me? I just want to go and I want to, at this point, I want to spend all of my time in rooms where I'm valued and celebrated. And if I'm not, I know that's not a room for me. Huh, interesting. Cool. I love that. Yeah. yeah. You know, when you look back, I was listening to something when you said like in 2019, it was like a $16,000 year. You know, that wasn't very long ago. <laughs> it was like, and how the, how, when people look at you and look, you know, listen to you, follow you and see who you are. I look at that. And then I look back three or four years ago when you were searching to, you know, do the food prep, you know, and then like, ah, oh, that doesn't work. That's not for, but think of that. Like, but you were t- picking those breadcrumbs up and finding what would work, but what's the magic sauce. Is it just the integration of embodying this person that you are wanting to become? It is. Oh, there's a saying, but it's not coming to my, oh yeah. It's chewing the meat and spitting out the bone. (laughs) It's chewing the meat, spit out the bone, then chew the meat, then spit out the bone. So for example, my meal prep experiment, I had multiple (laughs) little businesses that, that didn't really go anywhere. The meal prep was one of them, but I learned something from there. I learned something about myself and who I am and what Mm -hmm. works well for me. So that meal prep class taught me the meat of that was I can sell. I can sell online. I can hold a class over Zoom. It can be really valuable for people. And that felt good. What didn't feel good about it, the bone that I spit out was meal prep. (laughs) Because meal prep didn't light me up. I was just doing, it was just a skill set that I learned to just survive my husband traveling for three years and me trying to get my fitness together. It was not a thing that lit me up, but I carried that with me Mm -hmm. into the next thing. So one of the things people really need to understand about when they're making investments, especially as it relates to growing a successful business I'm using things that I learned four, five, six, seven, ten years ago. I've been doing sales for a really long time. I've been doing marketing since my senior year in high school. Oh, funny. The investments in those things, the investments in learning those tools, and then really like integrating that into who I am is paying off now. So it seems like, oh my gosh, I went from 16K to 200K to a seven figure business in three years, which I did. But all of that was off the back of things that I had been learning. And I, there's a little caveat here. While I was pre-med, this is how extra, like just overachiever I was. 
while I was getting, doing my pre-med requisites, pre, prereqs, I also got two degrees in business and marketing management, like bachelor's degrees, not wow. all at the same time. Um, huh. So all of those tools now come into play. It's not that, oh, I made an investment and I like started a business and it failed and I like lost everything. Sure. It didn't go anywhere. Right. But I took that yes. with me. Right. Oh my gosh. You know, you think of when they come to you, I was taking your quiz and on your listening to the video about, you know, the people that you will take on as a client, it's a very small percentage. And I understand it's like the people that, you know, that what are the prerequisites that you really look for? Oh my gosh. There's so many at this point and I'm getting tighter. (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting tighter with them. And there's a beautiful thing that happens because the more in demand you become, the more selective that you become. Right. And so mm, some people look at it as me being particular and, you know, from a very negative lens, but honestly, I select clients based off of what I got from my friend, Shannon Graham, who says um, he's looking for the people with the highest potential ROI ripple of impact. Yeah. I love Not that. Just return on investment. I'm looking to only work. I want the Royal Shaman as a company that we're only working intimately with a very select few and that that number stays small so that we can really devote ourselves, devote our time, our focus, our energy to really supporting those people in the impact and the legacy that they're here to make. So we just don't tolerate people that come with their ideas of and expectations of how they think things should go or trampling over boundaries. And we do require a certain level of, of proof that you have, like you've, you've shown in your life somewhere that you are able to, you know, learn and implement, learn and integrate. Cause we don't have a bunch of time for handholding. Right. We have a mission here and I don't know. It just feels really good. I really want our success rate to be sky high. And part of that happens when you curate just an incredible group of people, but you have to also protect that. Right. No, I get, I, you know, I mean, I'm sure you've met a, a lot of people and you understand the what works and what doesn't work and not to waste your time and all that. Or their time. It's yeah, or their time. Yeah, it's also a really beautiful gift to someone to say, like, this is not a fit for you right now. And like this, this, and this, when when you've been able to kind of evolve in this way, reapply, and I think then it will be a fit for you. That's powerful because I don't want people to come in and not get anything from right. being, being with yeah. Although I don't think that would happen, but. Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah. Where do you see yourself in the next, what, 10 years? Where are you going to write a book? Are you going to? I'm actually writing a book right now. Oh, fun. So yeah. So I have a ghostwriter and the book should be ready early next year. So my intention is that we put our best stuff in the very front and make it as accessible as possible. So I want the book to have like the meat or the spine of what is flowing through all of our containers, the essence that exists will be in that book. And if people want to have support on 
actually, how do I implement this? How do I become this version of myself? I'm also working on a, um, on a program. So we're going to be launching the very first version of it in the next, I don't know, six to eight weeks. Oh, cool. And we'll, we'll do a few runs of it. And then by the time the book comes out, it will be like pristine and beautiful and all ready to go. 10 years from now though, is really hard. Uh, Cause I just <laughs> look at the, the momentum and like how things have unfolded in the past. Three it, well, years. that's why I wanted to know, because I look at your life and how I, you know, it's just when you, when you're living your passion and you have the, you know, you have that intention and that focus and the flow, right. You know, and I know you talk a lot about the yin and the yang and, you know, the different, the energy balances and, you know, how the yin, you know, I don't know. I just, I just see this momentum, like you're on the top of that mountain and that rock's just going to start to, you know, go. (laughs) My vision is that I, I probably will end up being the Rihanna of personal development and spirituality and business Uh in that Rihanna just disrupted on such a beautiful level. So many industries, makeup being one Fenty beauty, the way (laughs) I love Fenty beauty. Yeah, I do too. Um, Also Savage Fenty. I have visions for some really amazing events and experiences But I think that with the pandemic, it's created an opportunity for someone like me who is not, I don't fit the typical mold of the kind of like the big players in personal development and I'm coming for my throne. Okay. Got it. I love it. (laughs) But you see yourself on stage, like having a Tony Robbins type of event. For sure. Stages are my zone. Stages are my genius. I love being on a stage and most people hate them Mm -hmm. and I live for them. I also live for learning. So I also see me spending a ton of time because I already do spending a ton of time learning lots of different disciplines and seeing where they all interconnect and bringing that into the world in ways that people can really understand. I'm all about simplicity Mm -hmm. and kind of rawness, realness. So I also see to having a really great team. One of the things that just lights me up is being able to create opportunities for, for women, for people of color, for incredible kind of like quirky misfit types (laughs) to be able to create a, a, a lifestyle that has freedom in it. I'm not making everyone a millionaire in, on my team. However, <laughs> <laughs> them being able to get paid well, be able to be in their zone of genius, being able to work with amazing clients. I also, that's also why I'm so particular about who right. we work with because I want to honor my team too. Yes. I love win-win-wins. I love when, when like I win, my team wins, our clients win, their clients and audiences. Yeah, so win. it's a ripple effect, right? Like what's better than that? Right. Nothing. Love it. Yes. What is one thing before we leave and we tell everybody how to find you? What is one thing like you, you have such a fun, like your oils and your belly dancing and all your little rituals that you do, or you just say things that get your in alignment. What is one thing that you would tell everybody something like you do that is like really helps that uh, inner vibrance come out? Yeah. Keep you in alignment and start that um, day. 
Yeah. So my favorite way to do that is through scent. So I talk a lot about utilizing oud oil. I use- yes, I've been looking that up. <laughs> yes, I love oud. And by the way, it's kind of in the works, but I have a vision of, and most likely there will soon be a signature fragrance. Oh, fun. Able to access that will have the essence of what I'm talking about, but really using scent in an intentional way to activate or embody certain aspects of yourself. Like, you know, maybe, maybe you want to tap into your sensuality. And so you use a certain scent to tap into that, or, or maybe you want to tap into the, the, the embodiment of luxury. And so you use a certain scent for that. It could be different for everyone, but to me, Oud just exhibits this aura of mystery, of sensuality, of opulence, of rarity. And every time I wear it, I feel like a walking goddess. Huh, I love it. Yeah. Oh, so everyone's going to go buy that. It's going to go off, off the charts. We're not going to be able to, it's going to be all sold out. It's already very expensive. <laughs> it is the most expensive ingredient for perfume, but it's worth it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I hear it. You talk about it all the time. I did look it up. Yes. So I just need to order it now <laughs> and embody that. I love it. I love what it stands for, for you. Anyway, thank you. I've loved this so much. We can find you at the Royal Shaman on Instagram, your website, the Royal Shaman, right? I'm basically, I'm the Royal Shaman basically everywhere. <laughs> the Royal Shaman everywhere. The only Royal Shaman, right? The one and only? The one and only the Royal Shaman. There are other Makosi. So also just a little note on the end, Makosi is a title. Yes, it's not a name. So it's not a name. It's a title similar to how you would say doctor. It's a title. So there are other Makosis. I'm not the only one. <laughs> Thank you for that clarification. Anyway, I loved it. Love you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Uncover Your Magic podcast today. If you are inspired by what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this show on your favorite podcast player. If you would like to connect with me with any questions, comments, or feedback, please contact me at the Uncover Your Magic website. Thank you so much for listening, and don't forget, always look for the magic.